Good evening, everybody. This is Darius Asemi with GV Wire. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered, along with my co-host, Steve Brandau. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, and uh, Mike Rabasi. Good evening, Mike. Good to be here, Darius. First of all, right, before I forget, right out of, out of the gate, uh, we want to talk about GV Wire on... Let's put slide four up. Uh, we got the number one position as a mid-size digital news site. Very exciting. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Yeah. <coughs> Thanks to the team uh, for uh, working hard and, and really earning this incredible award. Um, <clears throat> we have a great uh, event or, or uh, program. program for you this evening. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about housing. Uh, what is your home going to be worth next year? Is it time to buy? Should you sell? Debt ceiling, all those goodies. Um, we're going to talk to them. We're going to talk about Ukraine. Uh, but before we get started in any of that and start show the poll of the week, let's, um, yeah, there you go. Pull, now, put the poll of the week up. What should Fresno's top three budget priorities be? Fix the roads and public safety. <clears throat> then reduce uh, homelessness and then keep garbage rates the same and build more parks. So, uh, Mike? Hey, I really hope residents support Measure C when it comes out again, if roads are important to you. Okay. Um, because if we don't get that money, we're going to have to spend the general fund money we normally spend to fix potholes on Measure C projects. That's so going to be 2026 I think now. so. That's, the, uh, that's what they're saying. But your budget currently, you're going through a budget, $1.85 yeah. billion dollar budget. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk about that uh, in, in a few minutes. Sure. But so, folks, uh, GVYR audience wanted <coughs> roads fixed, public safety then uh, reduce homelessness. Okay, before we dive into all this, uh, I want to get a brief update from Steve. You had a board yep. meeting today. We had a board meeting today. Like you yep. do? Every other Tuesday. Every other Tuesday. Yep. Like clockwork, practically. Board of yeah. uh, Fresno County Board of Supervisors. Yep. Anything you want to couple, report to us? A couple things, um, but I want to start off with the most important thing, which is... Uh, as many, as many of you know, and the unfiltered audience and the GVY audience already knows, uh, we've lost two uh, small children, a four and an eight-year-old, in, uh, in a river. And it's just imperative that everybody tells their family and friends and ask them to tell other people to keep everybody out of the water at this time. Apparently, just for a few seconds, uh, these, these children were unattended, and now they're lost. And it's very sad and tragic. On Thursday, the sheriff is going to hold a press conference with many other community leaders, the Board of Supervisors and others, to talk about this issue. Uh, we've been pounding away. We've talked about it here on Unfiltered yeah. already. But um, it's still, I don't think we can say it enough, that this record snow melt coming down as fast as it is, the water is just moving uh, terribly quick. And so um, stay away from the Kings River, stay away from the San Joaquin River, and if you out live outside of our immediate area, I'm, I imagine your river is, is acting the same so, way. So if it gets hot and somebody wants to go rafting in the river, stay away. Is that what you're saying? They need to take, go in and take mm -hmm. a cold shower, run through the sprinklers like we did when I was a kid, Okay. Uh, go to a neighbor's swimming pool. You need to do something else. Uh, until probably midsummer. Here's what happens. Look, whenever they go into the San Joaquin River, for example, um, our fire department's rescue team has to go out and risk their lives to keep people safe. The water level is too high. I mean, Steve's uh, supervisor is absolutely right. Just it's not time to go in the water. There's okay, splash yeah. parks in Fresno you can go to. 
Okay. There's pools, public pools. Let's move on. Another, an, yeah, another thing we okay. did today is I had proposed a flag ordinance for all Fresno County properties, leased, owned properties. Anything that's a Fresno County government building uh, now is going to fly the American flag and the California state flag. Uh, we um, withdrew from the game of putting other flags up on our flagpoles. And so we've seen, you've seen this. I don't know if you've been watching what's happening at Dodger Stadium, but there's uh, Boston City's getting sued. And this this game of picking and choosing who can go up the flagpole, uh, it's been very detrimental. So uh, today the Board of Supervisors supported 5-0 to zero, uh, to make it just what? these two flags can be flown on our property. What is that going to affect? Uh, it's got to go one more board meeting. Two weeks from now, it'll get its second hearing. It'll just be on consent. The main work was done today, and it's got 30 days okay. after that. So if... I wasn't going to put up you'd a GV wire you'd flag. You'd have to move quick. You'd have no, to move quick. I want to put a GV wire flag up <laughs> yeah. on all the county buildings. Right. So we can't do that, you think? No, I have two I weeks to do it. I think it's going to be tough. It's going to okay. be very, very tough. All right. Okay. Anything else? Nope. That's okay. a good Mike. little update. Yeah, so look, our agenda's out, folks. Please go online, fresno.legistar.com. Participate. Let us know how you feel. If you don't, it's just going to be the activists that call in every time say the same old thing over and over again and want to get rent control passed. Please, say, give us, tell your legislators what you really believe. We need to know where the working class are in this community. Okay. <clears throat> and then the budget is going to be... June, yeah, starting in June. Budget process every year. We have a... Tell us, tell, tell us about the budget process. How does it work? Sure. So our budget process takes about a month. Um, mayor will spend a couple months preparing a budget, presents it to us. We go department by department. Um, not just the general fund, which is at $450 million a year. <coughs> That's the biggest it's ever been. That affects you every day. And then we have the enterprise departments like the airport, the convention center, uh, solid waste, and DPU, which they, they're proposing rate increases. Uh, we evaluate every single budget and uh, have to get to a, a majority vote, at least five council members, to pass a budget. So it's a long, okay. drawn-out process. But it's a great opportunity for you to have a say. And For example, are we going to spend more money fixing potholes? That's a big one. Uh, the proposal now is we're going to have a, a dedicated pothole team, but we got to make sure that's protected in this process, and we need input from residents, regular residents. Let us know. How many people are going to fix one pothole? Well, <laughs> we're going to have we're a dedicated team. Uh, okay. Do, yeah. Okay. All right. With that, uh, we showed our poll, so let's dive in to what is your home going to be worth next year? Is it time to buy? Is it time to sell? Is it uh, what's going to happen to the interest rates? What will the, how will the debt ceiling uh, debacle, if, it, if our debt ceiling doesn't get raised, uh, how will that impact uh, home prices? How will that impact mortgage rates? Here, here it is. Debt ceiling impasse, impasse threatens housing market with 8% mortgage rates. Sales could drop. Actually, they could, they could uh, get killed. Uh, so with that, let's bring in Brian Dominguez in on, on the show. Good evening, Brian. Uh, he's a real estate broker uh, and a consultant. And also, are you the, you're the president of Fresno Association of Realtors. I am. I have the honor of serving as the current president. And if Fresno Association of Realtors, that is the, 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 the geographic area is from Reading to <laughs> Irvine. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. We're uh, uh, mainly focused on the Fresno Metro, Fresno County area. Uh, we have about 4,000 members. Okay, great. Tell us about the state of the housing market. <clears throat> we know it's tied to everybody I talk to. They say, well, interest rates are high, but I can't find a home. 
you know, where do I find a home? How do I find a home? You know, do I, you know, I'm, I want to sell my home. I, should I sell my home right now? You know, I have a low interest rate from, you know, two years ago. I got a 3% mortgage rate. Should I sell it? But, you know, I'm, I've outgrown my home. Or I have another friend of mine who's getting divorced. So, hey, I got to, you know, one of us is going to move out. But I can't find a home. So kind of tell us what's happening with the Fresno area. <clears throat> we know Fresno is the center of the universe, but Fresno area uh, real estate. Well, well, fifth largest city in California, so I think we're a pretty, pretty big deal. But, you know, you're right. So should you sell your home? Uh, my answer would be if you're uh, wanting to sell your home, we would welcome having more inventory on the market. The challenge that we've continued to uh, suffer from since COVID is really just a true lack of inventory. And uh, we thought when rates doubled, you know, went from 3%, some in the twos uh, up to seven, upwards of seven, the, that the real estate market would really come to a screeching halt. And it did for a while. And we really did see the impact of, of what interest rates do to the market. But as people started to become more and more accustomed to the new rates, uh, they realized that, well, maybe the crash isn't going to come, at least to, not to the extent that we thought. So let's go ahead and get back off the bench and back into the buyer's market, which is create. We have the, the short answer is we just have a lot less sellers than we have buyers. And a big part of the issue is the a lot of the sellers don't want to put their properties on the market and get into a higher rate. So they're staying, even though their home may not meet all of their current needs, they're uh, not willing to give up their interest rate. Actually, could you put uh, put that screen back up? I don't know if uh, uh, Brian can see that uh, on yeah, the article. Okay, Fresno number eight, fewest housing permits issued in 2022, which means the supply uh, is going to be sub substantially less, at least on the new home side. <clears throat> so um, that's number one issue. I know you can't, you don't comment on new housing uh, stock but also number three in the nation for the lowest home vacancy rate. So, which means that there's very few homes available to rent. Supply of new homes are shrinking. And is it true that Fresno area, there's only like 1.2 months of supply <coughs> compared yeah, uh, to seven months? Maybe explain for the audience, you know, what sure. are the numbers of months of supply? What does that mean? What is the typical normal market uh, number of months of inventory that is that we should expect for a healthy market and what is it right now? Yeah, a healthy market, you wanna see five to six months supply of inventory. So if new homes stop coming on the market, the absorption rate, it would take about five to six months to burn through is existing inventory. We've been sub, you know, we've been below three months for a really long time. And, and right now we're sitting just under two months at 1.8 supply. So that's why I think you saw the prices continue to hold strong uh, because there's there's just not enough inventory. It's unfortunate to see uh, your first statistic that you shared because we were hoping that the new construction would help fill some of the void that the resale market's not able to fulfill because uh, the demand's so high and we've got so many homes that aren't coming on. So unfortunately, you, what, what you're telling me now is that the, the new home supply may not be able to fill that gap too, which is unfortunate because there's definitely demand. If I'm a, if I'm looking to buy a home, if, if some, I'm, I'm, what do I do? How, how do I go? First of all, let me ask you this: Should I sell my home? Uh, what 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 advice do you have for my, for the audience? Um, my existing home. Let's say I I, I want to move for whatever reason. Shall I sell that home? And uh, how do I go finding a, a new home to buy, or new or used or new to me? Uh, home right. to purchase, knowing that there's no inventory. How, how, how do we 
how do we solve that problem? Yeah, it, you know, it is kind of a chicken and the egg scenario. So I think the first step you want to do is you want to meet with a mortgage professional who's going to sit down with you, uh, review your finances, verify your employment, look at your assets, and then give you uh, a number that you can work with and get you pre-qualified. So before you sell your home, because it's going to be a lot easier to sell your home than it is going to be to find one, uh, meet with a mortgage professional who can help drill down your budget. And then you can look at your numbers and decide, well, how are we going to do this? A lot of people say, you know, Brian, I want to move once. How am I going to sell my home and move into a new one? Uh, but I need the proceeds from the sale of my house in order to buy the other one. So that gets a little bit trickier. There's uh, some contingencies you can put into place if you're going to put your house on the market. You can sell it contingent upon finding a suitable replacement property which uh, lets the buyer know, uh, although I'm going to go into contract with you to sell you my home, you're going to give me X amount of days to go out and, and locate uh, a suitable replacement property. So it's a nice safeguard for sellers to, uh, to have to be able to feel comfortable putting their home on the market and not get uh, in a position where they're, they're homeless. So that would be my first recommendation. Where to find a home, you know, uh, of course, I'm, I'm here on behalf of the Association of Realtors, so I'm, I'm always advocating that uh, you reach out to a local realtor. Uh, real estate is very local. Oh, sorry, my sir, back up, it's an echo there. I'll keep going. Okay. Um, so my recommendation always is to reach out to a local realtor. You know, real, real estate is local, so you want to get in contact with somebody that Brian, uh, hold on a understands. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay, we got you back. Are we back? Uh, all right. You're back. Uh, okay. Not sure where I left off, but you want to um, you want to get in contact with a, a mortgage professional first. Uh, talk about contingencies for a replacement property, and then uh, connect with a local realtor that really understands the neighborhood that you're you're looking in. And um, you know, in this market, realtors have to be more uh, aggressive than we've been in the past with finding inventory. Whether that's sending letters out in particular areas, knocking on doors, or doing other um, methods of trying to generate uh, listings for our clients who are looking with specific criteria. So, Brian, before uh, Steve has a couple of questions for you, but quickly, uh, if I'm <clears throat> new to this market, how do I find a realtor that I can trust? Um, and also, you know, is this a good time? If I've got, Chad has got a good question. I don't know if you're going to ask the question or not, but. If, if I want to make repairs, um, is this a good time to refinance my home, pull my, I mean, 7% mortgage rates? I would, I would think it's not probably a good time to make repairs to my, to my home. But, but really, most importantly, how do I go finding a real estate agent? You, you, you brought well, up a really good point. Get, get your finances in order. Talk to a, a home lender to see, you know, what are your finances? What can you actually qualify for? That's fantastic advice. Before you even go... Thinking, you know, what, what size home can I afford to buy? Make sure you, you're pre-qualified, the right loan, you're comfortable with the mortgage payment. So you start with a, with a lender, a lender of choice, and hopefully somebody you know, you can trust, um, somebody's got good, you know, roots in the market. But how do I find that lender, and how do I find a real estate agent if I'm new to the market? Well, I think what a lot of people do, a lot of clients in this market do is they ask the people, they ask their peers, you know, there's a lot of realtors in, in Fresno. And so you, you would want to reach out to people that you know and trust and have a relationship with maybe people you work with or go to church with and say, Hey, do you happen to have a couple of recommendations 
of a realtor that you've worked with that you've had a good experience with. And if you can collect a few names, I always recommend that you sit down with a realtor. Uh, you know, the we abide by code of ethics and we've all passed the state exam, but there's different practices and how we uh, handle ourselves with our clients. So I think it's always good to meet uh, with a, a potential realtor, ask questions. How do you communicate? Uh, what can I expect? What does the process look like? And really start to get the understanding of what this journey is going to look like. If give a rating uh, for for your real <laughs> realtors or no? You like, know, yeah. no ratings that I know of, other than uh, public reviews. You know, that's and that's another way. If you don't know anybody in the community and you're moving here from outside the area, and you can't get a recommendation. Then you know, obviously, the internet has lots of lots of choices and reviews as well. Hey, Brian, Steve Brandau, first, you're, you guys are doing a great job at the uh, Fresno Area Association of Realtors. You do fantastic work. There's a lot of strength in your association, and um, that's really evident. I, it seems to me, and uh, I met with uh, you and a couple of other of your folks just last week, but it seems to me that um, most people like me are not prepared to sell their home right now because they have a lot better interest rate under their current loan their current mortgage loan, and if they sell their home, um, they have to go get, you know, pre-qualified or qualified under under a new mortgage rate, which is substantially higher, in maybe double, close to double. Um, isn't this one of the big deterrents of why we're not seeing as many listings on the market locally? Yeah, it's a major deterrent. It's probably one of the largest. Um, to see that big of a swing in such a short amount of time, people are technically locked in their homes. I mean, they're just, in fact, Darius uh, brought up a divorce earlier. That was kind of a time-tested uh, good reason that we would see people come on the market. But now I'm hearing stories of couples that are wanting to divorce, but they're choosing not to sell their homes at this point because they don't want to give up that rate. So they're figuring out how to coexist or, or some work out some other type of living arrangement, which is fascinating to me that the rates are so good that it's changing the dynamics of normal situations that we start to see inventory come on from. <laughs> that pressure might be saving a few marriages. I don't know. But um, <laughs> there you go. That's, there's the, there's the, good, the, the silver lining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Brian, so there's a lot of talk in government about affordable housing and what that means. And it's something I'm very sensitive to because to me, it's about having market rate housing, but we obviously know supply is down. Um, does your organization have a position on affordable housing or what government can do to better encourage people? I mean, at the federal level, you've got those rates, and I understand that. But we have a lot of mandates that come and get trickled down to the local level. Um, anything you've heard of that we can do to help increase housing stock in this community? Well, I think, you know, it should promise the local more state. expeditiously. That's true. <laughs> get, the, get the permits through faster. Um, you know, I think what you'll see at the local, state, and national level, and we, we just spent the first half of May uh, lobbying both in Sacramento and D.C. And really, I mean, we're a, a trade organization that supports homeownership. What we want to see if the government's going to give taxpayer dollars away or, or invest them in, into that we want to see them invested in homeownership. So a uh, program that recently the state rolled out uh, $500 million down payment assistance they would they would loan you 20 percent of your down payment and then there was a, a equity sharing program when you sold your property the the state recouped their investment and 20 percent of the equity so something like that we asked for another 800 million uh next year in california to fund those types of programs because what we know for sure is that the net worth of a homeowner is much higher than the net worth of a renter so we would rather see subsidies directed towards down payment assistance versus rental subsidies um, does that answer? 
that's encouraging home ownership. Yeah. I mean, the, sure. it's really, you, you know, you can leverage your home and put your kids through school. You have yeah. some kind of a legacy effect when you pass away that your family's going to inherit. An well, let me ask you this, Brian. You talk about advocacy in D.C., and we weren't on last week, my colleague and I, just because we were at your event for the Realtors, and we learned that you had a successful effort lobbying in D.C. on an item that we covered on this show. Can you let us know about that? And why people did, shouldn't yeah. destroy their credit. <laughs> yeah, there was, um, you know, an unfortunate uh, regulation that, or uh, policy that was passed that penalized people with higher credit uh, through their mortgage insurance and made their rates higher than uh, those with less uh, favorable credit. And so they were trying to, to basically punish those that had, had a good streak of um, paying their bills on time and having high credit and, you um, redistributing that down. So that that was reversed back. We had about 8,000 realtors in DC and that was one of the many things that, that we talked about back there. Well, that's okay. great. You guys made a lot of noise over there. I'm glad to see that change. Yeah, good job. Yeah, also trying to, trying to raise the um, exclusion for uh, capital gains on your primary home. It's 250,000 for a, a single person and, and 500,000 for a, a married couple, and uh, that hasn't changed since 1997. So we'd like to see that increase as well. That was one so, of our So tell us for efforts. the average folks listening. So if I sell a home at a profit, a capital gain of up to what is it for an individual 250? I won't be taxed for that. Is that what you're saying? On your primary home, that's correct. Yeah, right. But in this market, gains. yeah, if you're in a home for over 10, 20 years, uh, that's that can be eaten up pretty fast. Yeah, I can. Absolutely. Okay. I want to talk about capital gains, but you have a question. Yeah. Brian, I, I joined Mike Carbasi in congratulating you and shooting down that real bad policy. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but I do have, I want to go back to the very first question and why we had you listed on Unfiltered tonight. Is my, what do you expect to see the value of my home do in the next 12 months? You know, it's a good question. At the end of last year, we finished about 8% our values were about 8% lower than they were the year before. That was right around December, January. But what we quickly have seen through the last couple of months in particular is that we're back in very strange territory again, where we've got multiple offers. Um, you know, a couple just in my office alone this weekend, several offers were written and we're competing with uh, one uh, offer that we made. There was 23 offers on the property. 16 of them were 15,000 or more above what the list price was. So we, wow. we, we're starting to see that that is changing, right? I mean, we're starting to see that the the equity that was lost or the values that had gone down is quickly starting to come back up. So I think in a year from now, for sure, what I don't know, I couldn't tell you the dollar amount, but I think your house will be worth more uh, in the future than it is right now. So uh, I think we'll continue to see appreciation, although not the 40% we saw on the craziness of, of the peak. Hmm. Well, that's good news. I'm just going to hold on there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, let's see. Buy and hold. <laughs> I'm going to talk about capital gains for a minute before we bring Father Gregory in to talk about Ukraine. But here's my opinion, the truth about capital gains. So capital gains tax, that means that you bought a home, let's say 20 years ago, for $100,000. And you, your home today is worth $500,000. So you sell it and you make a $400,000 profit. So what Brian just said, the first $250,000 of that is tax-free. The other $150,000 you're going to get taxed at. Ordinary income, I'm going to guess. Or maybe capital gains tax. So 20% of the feds, you know, 12 or 13% of the state. <clears throat> what government doesn't understand 
is that that capital gains, which means my home appreciated from 100 grand to 500,000, is not free money that I'm going to get <clears throat> that I can enjoy buying you know, a lot more homes. If I were to replace that home with the home today, I want to sell that home for 500,000, I'm going to buy another home. For some reason, I don't like the first one, but I want to buy almost an identical home in you know, two streets up. I'm going to pay 500000 for that new home that I'm going to buy. So <clears throat> the capital gains tax, you're actually losing money. Government is putting its hand in your wallet, in your pocket, taking money out. They said, shame on you. You bought a home. You bought a piece of property for investment. You made money over the years because, you know, because of inflation mainly. Now we're going to take some of the gain away. So you will not have as much buying power to go, to go buy something else. <clears throat> and that's one of the worst taxes that punishes mainly middle class Americans and that lose so much of their income to capital gains tax and to ordinary income tax. Uh, and it's a really a, a, a reach by government, both Fed and state. No, it, it's terrible. Couldn't agree you more know, with you on that one. Yeah. And those middle class mm -hmm. folks are more likely to spend money in this economy rather than the government taking it and redistributing it for things that encourage rentals versus home ownership. So it's a vicious cycle. Exactly. Um, we had a res uh, someone who's uh, online and asked a question about, is it a good time to refinance for repairs? What are your thoughts? You know, I, I mean, the, the challenge with that, if you're in a very low rate and you're going to refinance for repairs, which is kind of a short term expense and you're going to get you know, uh, take out a new 30 year loan at a six and a half percent or six and a quarter percent rate. I think that that's probably a little bit challenging. What I would look at is probably a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, where you get to keep your, your first and your low rate and then, you know, um, borrow money maybe for energy efficiency or something and put solar or new windows on. And you can uh, qualify for a HELOC and, and pull the money that way and then pay it off uh, faster and then go back to your original rate. That would stay in intact. So that would be my recommendation for improvements like that it would be to uh, do a home equity line. Right? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. We're going to bring uh, Father Gregory to talk about Ukraine. But Brian, if you can, please stay with us uh, sure. during the second half of this show, because I'm going to come back and ask you several questions about what happens if the war with Ukraine was over? Uh, what happens if there, I mean, there was no war? Uh, and inflation actually came down faster, and and mortgage rates came down faster. I'm gonna, I want you to opine on that uh, as it relates to the not necessarily the war itself, but if the war ended in peacetime, we should have much better prosperity all across the world. And how would that impact uh, Fresno home buyers? So <clears throat> I'm going to connect the two. So if you have a few minutes, please stay with us, uh, Father Gregory. Uh, Zubak, thank you for, for uh, uh, joining us this evening. Uh, I'm going to start with a video, <clears throat> a small clip. Of, of This is on the Farid Zakaria GPS program from Sunday morning, a couple of days ago, uh, interviewing <clears throat> um, Defense Policy Studies Director uh, Corey Schack, who is a Republican, um, interview with uh, Farid Zakaria and Corey about the war in Ukraine, how much money have we spent, you know, should we have spent more money earlier with the Republicans and the next Republican president, support the war, uh, support Putin, 
you know, uh, not sure about that. This is not actually the video. Uh, oh, got it. Okay, cool. So let's let's uh, show that clip real quick, um, and then we'll come back. Why Republicans will continue to support aid to Ukraine, and in addition, even in shrewdly strategic terms, for five percent of U.S. defense spending last year and zero American military casualties, the Ukrainians are destroying the Russian army. And that is absolutely in America's interests. Okay. Um, <clears throat> for the rest of that, I think it was eight or ten minute interview, please go to CNN.com and um, watch the show or read Zucaria uh, on GPS.com. Okay, let's bring Father Gregory. I want to start with uh, getting your opinion on what uh, Corey Schock um, comments were. Basically, for 5% of the defense budget is now over $800 billion. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Uh, but there's no, we're not reducing it. Hammers, screws, yeah, coffee this, mugs, all kinds of stuff. This, what was that screw on 60 Minutes? Uh, it was um, $300,000 for a screw. I think that screw was loose, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we're spending a ton of money. And uh, we know that, matter of fact, let's put that slide. Do we have that slide on... Um, on the Pentagon spending, or let me, we'll find it. Oh, perfect, there we go. Pentagon overpays for weapons due to defense contractor <clears throat> price gouging, uh, 60 minutes program. Um, so, but, so defense spending is not going down anytime soon, especially with all the, we pay like four and 500% profit margin or more price, higher price than, than we should be for some of these items, at least some of these items. Uh, so. Uh, for 5% of the defense budget, you know, is, is, is it, are the Ukraine, with the U.S. aid and European aid, are, are, is, are Ukrainians destroying um, Russia's military might? Mm -hmm. uh, thanks uh, for the question, Darius. So I, I always like to give a bit of context before I speak to the Ukraine uh, situation. Just a reminder that... Uh, the commitment that America is making to Ukraine is unique because back in 1994, when Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons, the United States signed a military uh, guarantee of uh, sovereignty and protection. And that's the reason why America is so directly involved with assisting with this particular war. A lot of people forget uh, why America and Britain are being so generous uh, towards Ukraine with regard to um, their defense spending. So the, it's because of the Budapest Memorandum uh, back in 1994, there's a moral commitment that the United States did make to help Ukraine. Now, the Budapest Memorandum didn't give a lot of details. Uh, the assumption was that if, well, the assumption was that nothing was ever going to happen. Uh, but then the unthinkable happened, and now the Western nations are trying to figure out how to fulfill the terms of the Budapest Memorandum, while at the same time not uh, create World War III. So the solution has been to send in weaponry, and the weaponry that's been sent in has been relatively limited. They have uh, not sent any aircraft in, although recently there's been a commitment to send the F-16s, which, as you know, are 30-, 40-year-old jets, uh, but it's assumed that they can uh, take on the MiGs. Uh, 
uh, from Russia and will help with uh, Ukraine counteroffensives. As you know, there's been about 40 to $50 billion spent on the Ukraine war so far by the United States. And the weapons that have been sent have been effective, but it's gone in phases. What always happens during war, a new weapon comes onto the battlefield, it's very successful for a little while, and then the enemy learns how to respond to it and it neutralizes the success. So you always have to have a new wave of weapons coming onto the battlefield. And we saw that with, uh, with the Javelin, we saw that with the HIMARS. Um, so now there's talk about stepping it up and giving some of the more obsolete uh, jets over to Ukraine. Ukraine has about 70 fighter jets left in its air force right now uh, for the purposes of uh, prosecuting the war and defending itself. The second uh, thing that, that should be pointed out is the question is, is it working? Well, if you look at a map of Russian gains in Ukraine, versus a map from September of 2022 and look at the Russian gains today, you'll see that the, the lines basically haven't moved. Uh, Russia has dug themselves in. They have approximately 50 to 70,000 soldiers stationed in eastern Ukraine right now. Uh, but uh, and even though they have uh, succeeded in taking the city of Bakhmut in the last 24 hours, uh, there's been very little gain. Uh, so if nothing else, the weapons have prevented Russia uh, from advancing any further in Ukraine. However, there has not been a lot of success with pushing the uh, front back towards the east and, and getting getting Russia out beyond the September uh, positions that they're in right now. So the question is, are we, why, is you, why are we sending money to Ukraine? Because of the Budapest Memorandum. Is it effective? Well, it has stopped Russia uh, from uh, proceeding much further, but it hasn't driven them out either. So that the, it's a kind of a military strategy question at this point, what's going to work. It's a waiting game. Um, history shows that Russia has won wars in the past by throwing human bodies in there. And they have a lot of human bodies uh, to throw in. They worked in World War II and it worked in World War I. And uh, they have been well known uh, for sending, uh, sending people to their death uh, in lieu of weaponry. And they will continue to do so. Uh, that's taking place here. So... That's the uh, that, that's that's an update on where things are at, and that's the background on on why the money is being spent and and whether it's successful or not. Yeah, I have a completely different take. I, not from uh, uh, not from Father Gregory, but from the uh, lady that was interviewed on Zakaria's show on CNN <coughs> when uh, she said that uh, that they're destroying the Russian army. Keep waiting around for proof, other than something that I read on the New York Times. So. I don't understand that. I can't. Uh, so I have to call BS on that. I don't see it. A matter of fact, it's been like a 15 month long battle for Bakhmut. That seems like it's been wrapped up. It's ugly. That that former thriving city now looks like Dresden after World War Two. It's uh, it's been just bombed to pieces and a lot of lives lost, I believe, probably on both sides. But mm -hmm. uh, you do have um, the Wagner Group. Uh, we just showed a picture of the Wagner Group uh, raising mm -hmm. the flag over Bakhmut. I don't know. Zelensky keeps claiming that um, they're still fighting for Bakhmut. Now they say, you know, on the outskirts of Bakhmut. Well, I mean, what is he actually telling us? Does he have a photo like this? Does he have a photo, photo raising the Ukraine flag? So when this lady tells me that they are destroying the Russian army, to me that just sounds like American propaganda. I'm sorry that Fareed gets wrapped up into this from time to time, but uh, I, I keep waiting for the win. Now, I, by the way, I abhor what Russia has done in that country. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, Putin's a thug and all those folks around him are, you know, terrible leadership for that nation. But, uh, you know, at what point, Father, you're a man of God, man of the cloth. 
You know, what time do we start looking a different direction for an outcome in this war? I mean, do you just keep going on. Do you believe that that um, that Russia is going to give back the Crimea and and all of the stuff that I hear coming from Joe Biden and and uh, Zelensky? Mm-hmm. Not voluntarily. Uh, so the question is, it's it's going to it's going to boil down to effective weaponry against uh, the Russian um, ground occupying troops. Uh, and, and the question is, what's going to work and what's not going to work? Um, if troops had been sent in, this war would have been over um, a year and a half ago. But because they were just at first sending um, streams of weapons and they're, they're ramping it up a little bit more, it's caused a prolongation of this war. But um, to say you that... You mean American Russia troops? Army, Father, do you mean that? American troops being sent in? Well, that's the problem with the Budapest Memorandum. It was a security guarantee, but it didn't say what that security guarantee would look like. It was widely assumed when Russia was signing this agreement that all of them would support Ukraine. But then things turned around in Russia, and then one of the signatories of the Budapest Memorandum wound up attacking Ukraine. So that that created the the complicated geopolitical situation that we've got right now. Never put the fate of your country in a fate of another country's act, uh, or in the, in the actions of another country. Ukraine should have, ne- that what this teaches the world is, hey, I'm not gonna give up my nukes. Ukraine should have never give up uh, her nukes. If you, Ukraine had nukes today, there will be no Crimea takeover by Putin and no thoughts are even, six, that 1600 nuclear missiles, uh, nuclear warhead, um, with a delivery system to get into Moscow and beyond. We talked about this right when the war started, over, mm-hmm. over a year ago, right? <clears throat> we had Costa on this show. We talked about the mistake Ukrainians made. They trusted Russia, UK, and the United States to protect their territory against foreign invasion. Um, unfortunately, and your congressman, buddy, uh, mm-hmm. from Sacramento... <clears throat> Uh, verified it. He said Congress did not ratify that. Yeah, that was Congress. Who was who was that? Um, Tom McClintock. Tom McClintock said, "Listen, that was a President Clinton signed that. Shame on the Ukrainians. Ukrainians don't trust U.S. government. Well, we say that. Don't trust us. If Congress doesn't ratify it, just like the Iran nuclear deal, Congress didn't ratify it. <clears throat> president Obama signs it, so it could be tore up by the next president. That's the mm-hmm. mistake." countries make when they deal with our government. I want to say it aggressively. <clears throat> Ukraine has 1,600 nuclear, nuclear missiles. By the way, I'm surprised they haven't found 10 of them lying around someplace that they can mount and get in. Well, it's a dangerous game. Let, let, Go ahead, Mike. Let's move it towards this direction. So Russia has invaded Crimea. It's reality. Now they want all of Ukraine. For American interests, what benefit for our country does it have to allow the Ukrainian government to fall and be another sphere of Russia? Those are tremendous energy resources for Russia, tremendous ag resources for Russia. Forget the morality for a moment. We cannot and should not be okay with this action because it directly impacts. Look how this action has affected our economy. Russian action has affected this. We can be wimps and weak and say, it's okay, we'll let you do that. Neville Chamberlain tried that shit with Hitler and look what happened. We have to be strong now and say, no, we're not going to permit it. And I, I think we need troops on the ground. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. The Western world has to commit to knocking Putin on his ass. 
That's, that's my a, feeling. That's a great point. That's a great point. This guy's belligerent. He's out of control. <clears throat> and we can't be okay with it. We can avoid World War III. I don't think the Russians have the stomach for this fight. And we can show them with strength, or we can just trickle this thing along, long, 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 and have a Mike, proxy war, and that's fine, too. Mike, unfortunately, <clears throat> we are really good at keeping the status quo, mm -hmm. creating havoc. And at the end of the day, we sell more arms, right? Yes, So totally. we, we, we Inflated prices. Inflated prices. Had inflated prices. If you, were, if you wanted to solve this issue immediately, we would send all the weaponry in the first few sure. months. Matter of fact, before, when, when Putin told the whole world, I want to amass 100,000 troops at the border, it's just an exercise. What he was really telling us, I'm going to invade Ukraine <clears throat> unless I get some other guarantees from you guys. So that's the time the Western world, including the European Union, should have put in maximum effort, dollars, military, technology, day one. Right. We wouldn't be here today. And what do we do in the United States? He, uh, Zelensky asked for F-16s a few months ago. We think about it, and the last minute, okay, maybe if we give F-16s, we can prolong this war a little longer. <clears throat> we don't want Putin to win. We don't want Zelensky to win. If you want Zelensky to win, we could... We could take care of that in, in, in probably a matter of weeks. Give him a bunch of F-22s, some F-35s, uh, some long-range missile system that can reach Moscow, and let, let Putin know what we're doing. But so well, why isn't that happening? So, you know, when you're talking about the past and the mistakes made in the past and trusting the American government, like, <laughs> so I get that. And Mike, you're, what you're talking about, what should be. But what we're right. faced with is what is happening on the ground right now. So, you know, there's no even guarantee. I'll believe the F-16s when I see them, by the way. So we're already hearing that from the Biden administration. I'm not even going to believe it till I see it. It's already been dragged out over, way over a year. There's articles um, in CNN why Kiev would still face big hurdles using U.S. fighter jets. In Newsweek, three big problems Ukrainian F-16s face against Russia. You know, I don't, I don't want us to get caught up in this fact that, in this concept that sending, you know, 100 F-16s is going to change this war. We don't know that. I mean, Russia's mm -hmm. fighting a completely different war than we thought they were going to fight. I mean, they're, they're doing a World War II ground and pound on Bakhmut right now. I don't know what their next target is. I'm not pulling for them, but we've got to face reality. I think it's all smoke and mirrors, and I think the U.S. government seems to be fine with me. <coughs> Father, I'd like to hear your take on my very conspiratorial view. I think the United States government is fine letting this war just kind of continue and erode Putin's forces for something that may or may not happen in the future, but really using uh, Ukrainian troops and the men and women who serve in Ukraine as proxy soldiers. Mm. Mike, it mm -hmm. gets, it's way different from what you're talking about. What, what, what is that? No, you're talking about the reality. You're right. No, look, yeah. this is the same as Korea. It's the same as Afghanistan. The U.S. and Russia, or U.S. and USSR, have always done this to one another. Right now, what we're doing is we're depleting Russia of resources. Unfortunately, we we're doing it on the backs of the Ukrainian people, and that's tragic. I mean, how but moral is that? It's, how not, moral it's not moral, is moral that? at all. It's not moral. A lot of smaller countries, non-nuclear countries, this happens to them all the time. Iran's another example. They backed the, the U.S. government, had the F-14 jet, and President Carter pulled the rug from the entire, under the entire country, and they became a religious theocracy that continues to kill people to this day. You're, Repeatedly you're, we do that. But you, Steve, question. Your suggestion is the United States should not have gotten involved and let Putin take over all of Ukraine? No. What is, what a, is a, 
when you make a commitment, if you're going to do what the Father is talking about and honor the contract that was agreed to in 1994, you're going to have to do it more along the scale of what Mike Carbassi is suggesting. You have to go all in. If you're not going to go all in, what we're doing now is pussyfooting, pussyfooting, yes. and it's costing Amer uh, new Ukrainian lives. It's not yes. cost I mean, one uh, expatriate soldier got killed about two weeks ago. That's not a big deal. It's like that's what the lady said on um, CN on Zakaria's show. Like it hasn't costed any American lives. Yeah, crazy woman, because it's costing Ukrainian lives. And mm -hmm. and you know what? To what is the end goal? I if I was Ukrainian, if Ukrainian blood was flowing through my veins right now. I'd be really pissed at the American government. We're not doing enough. That's just sitting <clears> back. <throat> right. They're bleeding along. Now, finally, we just lost Bakhmut. Now they're going to bleed a few no, F-16s totally. in there. And it's not it, just our it's commitment. crazy nonsense. You've got the United the UK has a big responsibility here as well as, well as the other uh, European nations that signed off on this agreement. No, the, the, you the guys both make, a, uh, great, make great points. We are not interested in winning wars. We like prolonging wars. Look at Iraq. Look at sure. Afghanistan, right? How do we create chaos and continue to spend more money? Was it BlackRock, mm -hmm. our right. private sector mercenary group that went, I mean, for 20 years, right? How much money, five to six trillion dollars of U.S. Treasury was spent because we don't want to go win the war. We just want to well, go over there and create it, chaos. And we have to ask <clears throat> why. So what are the potential reasons why? A, we could say that we're trying to bleed um, Putin's troops out and, you know, and we're giving up Ukraine in order to accomplish that, but, which is a horrible reason. But there could be another reason. It could be we love to sell arms, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, and so I think we need to legitimately ask, is, is that what's going on here? So we give them, you know, 40-year-old jets, then we have to replace those with brand new modern jets, at, right. you know, sticker prices way up there. And, you know, across the United States, defense contractors get to keep building stuff. I mean, if that's the, if that's the reason, we're already talking about the fall and decline of the American empire. If that's where we're at, if that's our moral commitment to this world, then we've already lost before we started. That's a really good point, especially regarding the military-industrial complex replacing the planes. But this seems like, when you look back on history, standard practice, we've done this before and we're just doing it again. But yes, on the backs of, of the Ukrainians, it's terrible. Well, the military-industrial complex, you bring 60 Minutes had an episode how they basically, out of 40 or 50 companies, now they're down to five. They've all mm. monopolized. Uh, it's, it sounds like with the encouragement of U.S. government. So now you want to buy a part, a replacement part, or, or, or a tank or a helicopter, you have one option. Mm -hmm. There's no yeah. competition right. bidding anymore. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'd like okay. to go to this uh, photo that we have of Zelensky standing with the G7 members. If we could bring that up on the screen real quick. You know, so I get to the point where I even question stuff like this. So here's Zelensky. He flies into Japan to attend the, the ending of the G7 meeting. There he is standing in the middle with all these other stuffed shirts. And he's wearing, you know, that army green T-shirt, right? I mean, I even have to question, is this for real? Is this a Hollywood, is this a made-for-Hollywood movie right here? This is a whirlwind tour to say, I need your help. Well, how From many whirlwind tours? He's taking Saudi his Arabia, tours about every three weeks. Saudi Arabia. He was in Saudi Arabia he, for the Arab summit. He was in uh, Japan. Where else did he go? Uh, all over the place to say, hey, we United need Kingdom. help. United Kingdom. France. We need help. We need help. We need help now. And yes, uh, Inga says he's a true actor. He's using his skills, social media skills, his acting skills, 
Uh, hey, to, Reagan was an actor, but he was a very strong president. Reagan, exactly. And Reagan was an actor, too. Well, Reagan didn't walk around 24-7 in a cowboy hat. Well, okay? maybe, you know, not 24-7. Yeah, but, but he, you know, he showed up, represented. <laughs> this gets to the, a real silly place. You know, what you know, if these guys are all we gotta bring, in it? I get your point, to be fair. Yeah. At the same time, maybe he doesn't want to look like a stuffed shirt. Uh, well, he's a wartime let's, president. Let's bring, it, let's, let's bring, bring, bring in Father Zubak for his perspective on that G7 picture. Mm -hmm. Right. There is a there's a subtle message there that's easily missed. Uh, one of the reasons Russia is in Ukraine is because they say Ukraine is not a legitimate state. It's just a sham. It's just a make believe group of people, a make believe language, a make believe culture, a make believe people. And I can tell you as a Ukrainian, that's absolutely false. I spent uh, many decades in Ukrainian school on Saturday mornings, and, and uh, I've been involved in Ukrainian culture, a Ukrainian dance, a, we had Ukrainian food, we have Ukrainian textiles and embroidery. And Russia has consistently, and not just recently, but for the last 500 years, denied the reality of Ukrainian statehood. So by Zelensky going and simply appearing at these things, that is a very subtle message to the world that, no, we are a real country, a real people. We have a real <coughs> culture and a real language. And so there's I a subtle message that. that's easily missed there. I, I totally agree with that. And that we're, I'm not dead, I'm alive, we're kicking and we need help. Please yes. give us, it's not, he's not, he doesn't want the limelight. He, he's mm -hmm. begging for help so he can defend his, his country and, and the lives of his people. Let me ask you this question. God forbid, let's say Zelensky is going back to, to Ukraine, to Kiev, and his plane's shot down by the Russians. What should the response of the world be if they're not a real state? If the Russians assassinate the president of Ukraine, shouldn't we be outraged? And if it happens, what will our response be? What is the appropriate response other than, oh, condolences? I mean, this is what right. we're talking about here. Right. And, and, and that's been a, a chronic problem from the beginning of the of this war in Ukraine is that the world has lent a lot of moral support and flown Ukrainian flags and put blue and yellow lights everywhere. But when it came down to actual practical help, uh, it's been limited. So um, chances so again, are they'll condemn it. We just want to keep it. We just want to keep the West wants to keep it going, especially the United States. Just keep it going long enough. So it just the war becomes sustainable. Every day, Russians and Ukrainians get killed. You mean like Afghanistan? Yes. Right? And Iraq. Yeah. And Iraq. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. We're really good at that. Yeah. Uh, Father, you um, lead a local um, Ukrainian Catholic parish, right? Mm -hmm. And so, right. so we've had you on the show several times. You have folks in your congregation who have family members in Ukraine right now. I want to mm -hmm. hear a little bit about the humanitarian side of this. Mm. Where are When you... You go out and pray with families, you talk with them, you get on the phone with them. Uh, some of them are crying, they've heard, you know, different things. You know, it's really terrible. Are the, you know, what are the people saying? Soldier forward, soldier on, or what are the, you know, what are the people saying? The people are hoping that the West will step up the military aid. That's the number one message I'm getting from my parishioners from Ukraine. I've had a large increase in parishioners from Ukraine now. And uh, the message is the same. Uh, they're worried about Russian gains, and they're seeing the 
expansion of Russian weaponry that's being used. They're using very uh, awful weapons, stuff that some of it's prohibited by the Geneva Convention and the arms treaties. And uh, they are hoping that the West will really step in and lean into this conflict and bring a swift end to it. That's that's their main hope right now. Yeah, that's that's and you're still able to get some aid over to folks. And uh, I know early on at the outbreak of war, uh, that was one of the big goals. Have you still been working with some agencies getting aid to the people? Right. Yeah. And mainly financial aid. That has been the uh, that has been the best way. I mean, to ship, for example, I get regular calls about people wanting to ship clothing over there. And I tell them, you know, it costs four dollars a pound to ship clothing over to Ukraine. If you send money, they can buy it for pennies on the dollar. So I, I, I often have, sometimes people feel a bit discouraged because they want to collect clothing and things like that and send it over. And I say, no, we just uh, send it over financially because the, the uh, transportation costs are astronomical. I want so I'm gonna add, bring back a point that <clears throat> Mike made uh, about five or 10 minutes ago is that we should go all in. And like Mike said, and like you had said, we want to go all in. Ukrainians don't want troops. They want, our, they want Ukrainian troops to be armed. And I think that's what mm -hmm. Mike was referring that's to. That's what I was referring to, right. So, so, we, so avoid, we, we, right. We, we want, you, just like you had brought up on the show a, uh, a year ago, <clears throat> and we talked about it, Mike, I think you were saying we should arm Ukrainian tr soldiers Absolutely. with additional weaponry. At so all the gear, said we should send American troops. No, no, no. no I'm no, sorry. No. I'm sorry. I was a little worked no, up. No, no. He said if we want to avoid sending American troops, it's time to crap or get off the pot and give them the resources oh, so we avoid happen. that. Not going to happen. No, I think to go all in. That's Mike, what I Mike we talked about it a year ago also, that we should arm. I think you brought up um, bulletproof helmets and bulletproof mm. vests. To, uh, to Ukrainians, what was the, you had, a, you had a list of items that you brought up a year ago. Yep. So this... As a city, what we could do to provide those resources, cities across the country, sending them actual tangible resources they can use in the conflict against the Russians. Exactly. When I see these pictures so, of Ukrainian soldiers, they've got yeah. all that shit. Well, on. I'm going to ask, hold on a Okay, well, let me make a point. Okay. <clears throat> but when they're bombing, when they're shelling Bakhmut, those helmets aren't going to be effective. Okay, but the helmets are effective if you're a sniper. Yeah, I think they've got them. <clears throat> so uh, for, that was a year bring, ago. We're talking about now. Right? That, that was a year ago. But but right. I think all to Mike's point, and I'm going to keep going back to that. We need to go all in now if you want to see an end mm -hmm. to this war quickly. All in, arm their right. troops, right. arm their troops on the ground that are over there, the Ukrainian troops. To everything that they need, whether it's bulletproof vests, whether it's uh, anti-aircraft weaponry. Anti weaponry, whether it's you know long-range missiles to get into Moscow, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? That yeah, and you know, you said this I think last time too. It's like we're doing everything up to making sure they can win this war, and if, if it goes back and forth, we give more resources, take away resources because we want to prolong this thing. And I think Robert Wharton just mentioned. Profits, profits, profits. I hope to goodness that's not it, but I, I hate to say it, that could very well be it for some folks. It's a chance to make a lot of money, and it's so terribly sad. And as American taxpayers, as the American middle class, we really shouldn't stand for that, because that doesn't represent our values as Americans. Uh, uh, Reverend, I think you, your position is the same as you shared with all of us a year ago, um, and what we just, all three of us just talked about, is that you don't, 
the Ukrainians are not expecting the British to go fight for them. They just want the weaponry. Mm -hmm. They don't want Europeans right. or Americans to go fight, right? Which is what we, the three of us are talking about and what you yeah. brought up a year ago. Is that position mm -hmm. still the same? It, it is, but the thing that's changed from my comments last year and now is that half the Ukrainian army is dead. Um, they had a standing army of 100,000 um, and, and 100,000 reserves. Now we're down about 50,000. Um, and so that, that's one element that has changed. Now, if they had done it right at the beginning and properly equipped the Ukrainian army, air force and navy with proper ships, with anti-ship missiles, uh, with anti-submarine warfare units, um, and had also given the proper weaponry and the aircraft, this war probably would have been over already. But because they had instead been sending over blankets and aspirin, you can't really win a war like that. No, so, yeah. we're, we're good at, I want to say the shit like that. Uh, what, what percentage of the Russian army has... Uh, uh, oh, 10%. 10%, but they're, they're mixing in private soldiers with Wagner and also, it's estimated that about 20% of the soldiers on the battlefield are prisoners from, uh, from uh, prisons and, and jails. So, so this way, they're not, they're not uh, putting their own trained troops at risk as much. They're sending these guys. And what they do is they send the convicts in first. And if the convicts succeed, then they send in the trained troops. You know, we have lots of convicts here. They can't stay in jail. We can send them over there. Let's do it. Well, jail shrinking. <laughs> oh, overcrowding. Overcrowding. <laughs> Hold on. I think Mike Kerbasi just came out with how to deal with jail overcrowding. Send him to Ukraine. Okay. We'll have them do some sled them out on the streets of Fresno, so that's where they're at now. Right. Well. <laughs> right. But you know this um, this thing that uh, the Reverend has just talked about uh, about the uh, diminished diminishment of the Ukrainian troops in the field. I mean that's a big deal. And Wagner's Wagner's just said that they're going to turn over uh, Bakhmut to the Russian Standard Army. On June 1st we'll see if that happens these guys are crazy ability to lie both sides are lying so um, you know we'll see if that happens but I you know we had a leak we had an intelligence leak here about two months ago do you guys remember that intelligence leak oh, terrible mm -hmm. what it, well what it said yeah. was the American government doesn't be even believe that Ukraine can win that war okay mm -hmm. so you know there's a huge disconnect with, between what the media is telling the people what the American government really believes. And, and, what, the, and what the American government is telling people. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, well, Zelensky himself, he had to fire about half of his staff and generals. I mean, the corruption, there's corruption on both sides of this game. We, we inflate the price of... Sides, we, you mean America and Ukraine? Oh, yeah. And or, it's or probably equal. Russia and Ukraine. No, so, no. <laughs> Russia probably less. Let me... So <laughs> the thing is... We are inflating the cost. We're, we're selling out for arms sales. Then, we, then the stuff gets over there. gets hijacked by the corrupt Ukrainian side. Look, we, we know how the corruption of Ukraine. Right? This, this is where yes. America was at on the story of Ukraine before this war broke out. No more corruption in so, Russia. But yes, to be fair, there, there was an issue of public corruption. Okay, so we have a couple of comments I want to talk about. Um, one question is, and this is for the father, is anyone talking peace? Why should Americans die now? I don't think anyone wants our American troops going over there. That, that we do not want. We want to do everything to avoid that. But for us to think we can stop this 500-year war is ridiculous. Let me ask you that, Father, about those two comments. And um, Ukraine was invaded. I mean, is peace even on the table? If, if we were invaded as Americans, I would say, 
not until they're out and we, I mean, I don't know. I just, just my take on it, but that's, those are my American values. Where U- are the Ukrainians Ukraine's, on peace? Ukraine's official position is that peace talks can begin if Russian troops leave. Um, so that's the stipulation. I, I think it's fair. And I also think it's unlikely. No question. So this is, this is what we're happening about. <clears throat> what is interesting right now is that, um, China uh, seems to be playing a peace broker's role right now. And President Zelensky actually had a conversation with, uh, with the president of China this past week. Uh, it's not clear what, uh, what, they, were, uh, what they had done. Uh, but, uh, but they seem to be China, actually China playing a peace-taking role. China is uh, filling the void that U.S. had and uh, in, in basically brokering peace and, you know, policing the world. Okay. Uh, I want to bring <clears throat> uh, Brian Dominguez back. Any other comments? I'll say mine till closing. Uh, Clo- closing. Okay, got it. <clears throat> Brian, Brian, you heard that conversation, I hope. Um, and, in fact, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Do you support sending all the weaponry needed to end this war quickly? And, uh, and will ending the war have a benefit on home prices in Fresno? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I do. And I'm listen, sitting here listening. I learned a lot. So I appreciate all the contributions that, that you all uh, contributed to the conversation. But the challenge with war is it creates uncertainty. And when consumer confidence is low and people are living in fear and can't make investments and uh, take risks, the economy suffers. So um, you know, obviously, ending the war would be in the best interest of, of everybody. Um, but it, it's, it's just a cha- very challenging situation, and it's discouraging to, to hear the details that I've heard today. We're definitely not doing enough. So I think Brian is saying, is agreeing with you, Mike, sending all the weaponry in so we can end the war. Get our economy back on track. And so we can get our, yeah. is, that, is that a fair statement? Brian? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Father Zubak, any final comments before we go to closing statements by all five of us, by the way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're all praying that this war is going to come to an end uh, as quickly as possible. And we hope that the uh, leaders of the world will recognize the important role that they have in bringing peace to this uh, war-torn region. And, uh, and bringing hope to the, the people who are suffering over there. Okay. Steve, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. Go. So you know, it's going to take a second. So I don't believe the war in Ukraine is the root of what's causing the problem in the American economy. So I believe it's Joe, Joe Biden administration. I don't believe the guy knows what he's doing. I don't th- think the Federal Reserve probably knows what they're doing. And we've seen this utter collapse. It's not because we're spending, remember, 5% of our defense budget. That's not what's causing the collapse of the American economy. So even if the war got cleared up, I don't think it's all, I don't think my home value skyrockets overnight. I think we have a lot of other uh, serious obstacles. I don't believe, unlike you guys, I, I think um, we've already squandered our chance to have victory in Ukraine. And that's very sobering. I don't know what that means. But I, but I think somebody starts, needs to start negotiating some kind of a peace <clears throat> agreement that might take many, many, many months, but also save many, many, many thousands of lives. I think that's where we're at. I think that's the reality. I think the, what we could have, could have, should have, would have, I think that game is, it ends up costing more lives. And I don't think, I haven't seen any level of commitment 
do to go in there and do what you guys are suggesting. So if I haven't seen that, I don't even know if there's a plan. These guys talk about all kinds of ludicrous stuff like, we're, you know, we're going to force Russia to give back Crimea. And I mean, it's just so unrealistic that I think it's a game. I think Zelensky standing there in his army green t-shirt is a game. I think he's in the game. I think all those guys, Biden, Macron, all these guys, they're in it. It's, in, it's a game. Unfortunately, Ukraine is like a pawn that's being sacrificed. Morally, it's reprehensible to me, and I don't support it. I'm going to actually get Father Zubak's comments on what uh, Steve just said before we go to Mike. Uh, in terms of in terms of inflation, no, the, the inflation. No, no, no. Issue. In, in, in terms of the comments he was making about, we got to get to peace. Peace talks. Forget all. Everything else is BS. We, uh, no more. No, no one's going to send the right weaponry. We talk about it. It's BS. We just got to give up all the territory that we need to to get to peace. Your reaction to that. And I want to get Brian's reaction to that, too. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's an impossible situation that's been created not just by Russia, but by all of the leaders of the world right now. And that's how I would describe the situation. It's an impossible situation. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And uh, there, there's some sentiment out there that Ukraine should just give up some or all of its territory and just bring peace about. And then there's the other sentiment that that's morally wrong and we should, we should fight for, for that which uh, belongs to us. And that's what creates the impossibility in the situation. Uh, how this is going to turn out, I do not know. Um, but it does appear that the West is continuing to remain committed to Ukraine and uh, and they will will uh, continue to uh, to uh, prosecute this war uh, with them. How how much they're going to contribute is is it remains to be seen. And the results, of course, will be interesting to be seen. I'm as well. sorry, I know we have these are closing comments, but I've got a, one more question for Father Zubak. Um, mm -hmm. Do you know why? I mean, besides the fact that we don't want to provoke, we're we're really scared of Putin. We got nuclear missiles. Yes. That, that's really the bottom line. But besides yes. that, why are we not? <clears throat> accidentally giving missiles to Ukraine so they can actually go on the offensive and take out some of uh, Russian cities. Do you, have, has any Costa, um, Dorte... They're all part McClinton, of the game. They're all part have, of the has game. anybody told you why they're not going to... We're just basically giving enough to Ukraine to, to sustain this anemic semi-survival. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to let you go into uh, Russia. Has anybody told you why? Yes. Uh, the, the official position that the United States has with regard to uh, stipulations attached to any weaponry donations is that they don't want Ukraine um, attacking into Russian territory. They want them to have a strictly defensive um, posture throughout this entire war. So that's one of the reasons why long-range weapons have not been provided to Ukraine. So, so basically, uh, U.S. position is to, we're just going to uh, let you, we're going to give you enough aspirin to get rid yeah. of your headache, but we're not going to fix your tumor. Well, it depends. It depends how how much of the tumor we want to cut out, basically. But 20, yeah. 27 percent of Ukrainian territory is now occupied by Russia. So the question is, are they 
should they just receive weapons to remove them from that 27% or should they actually attack into Russia in order to maybe galvanize a social response in Russia and maybe have some kind of a revolution that's going to take Putin out. So that, that's, the, that's the strategic position that needs to be determined here. You know, uh, since my closing comments, we went out, you know, so I want to, yeah. so, you know, we opened the show with a video from a lady that was on Fareed Zakaria. Did you guys not hear her say that Ukraine is destroying the Russian army? Well, if that's the case, why does Russia own 27% of Ukrainian soil right now? What I'm saying, and I'm just using that as example, is all we are hearing is BS. And let me tell you another piece of BS, just so you know. Those F-16s, they're not going to do the trick, okay? Russia is not fighting that kind of a war. They're not, exchange of missiles That's is not true. anybody's goal, Yeah. okay? What they're doing is an old school, something we don't do, so we probably don't even understand it anymore. Some people understand it, they're not in leadership, but right now... That's not, that is a propaganda machine that's happening right now, and we are getting sucked into that deal. I think the Ukrainians want, they're not going to tell us, but they're trying to use the F-16s to go into Russian territory. Not stealth, I get it. <laughs> that's, that's funny, but F-16s don't do that. They can and, go into Russian territory. Well, they can go across the border, yeah. okay? Now, here's what's happened. So, here's another thing. I'll ask you if it's propaganda. There, every story I read, it says that, uh, Ukraine is shooting down every single Russian missile and plane over there. So you don't think Russia has that capability with those F-16s? There is, a, there are other, you know, we, here's, mm -hmm. we're inside of a Orwellian Russia. propaganda thing right going on right now. Russia, the Russians are Russia has lost a total of seventy aircraft uh, during the course of of this war. So okay. um, that that that's about seven or eight percent of its total air force. Uh, so the losses haven't been catastrophic for Russia, but certainly they have been doing less sorties and flying less. Also, the Patriot missile system was recently provided. They should have provided that a year and a half ago, but they didn't. Uh, but that would have helped a lot, too. Uh, and it has been successful in dealing with a lot of the Russian cruise missiles that have been uh, used against Ukraine recently, both the caliber as well as some of their other weapon systems. Mike. Yeah, so lots of great conversation. Wrap, wrap yeah, I, I, regarding the economy, real quick, I, I think that right now at this very moment, the biggest threat to our economy is the debt ceiling chicken that the Republicans are playing mm -hmm. with the president. This has happened time and time again, whether it's a Republican president or a Democratic president, and every time the party doing that loses because they're putting the economy, uh, which hurts American people, in their hands, and they're screwing it up every time. I don't think it's going to work this time. We need to get. Then the reality is you can't tell me that you care about this country and our deficit when you've got one hand on the Bible saying you love America and another hand in America's piggy bank taking our hard-earned taxpayer money because all those guys in Congress, a supermajority of them on both sides, have spent our money like drunken sailors. That's the threat to American economy. Now on the Great issue, point, Mike. issue of Great Ukraine, point. real quick, um, the reality is uh, a free Ukraine or a... Democratic Ukraine is something that is better for American interests. Ultimately, what is best for American interests? I agree with my colleague. I agree with Steve. Problem is, this is all a game. It's all a geopolitical game. And unfortunately, the Ukrainians are in a very immoral way being, uh, being the pawns of this game. It's terrible, terrible thing. But when it comes to American interests, it is not in our interest to allow the Russians to invade Ukraine and get those resources. In the long term, we are better off with an independent Ukraine than we are with a Ukrainian uh, sa satellite of Russia.
Great points. Great points, Mike. Thank you. Great points. Brian Dominguez, as a president of Fresno Association of Realtors, <clears throat> does it go all the way to Ukraine? Or no? Is it just... <laughs> My jurisdiction? No, I, I definitely not. <laughs> any, any final comments from you? You know, I'll just say thank you for letting me participate. It's been a very thoughtful discussion. I learned a lot more um, from Father uh, Zubak um, than I could have ever imagined. So just appreciate all that you're doing. And I know that, you know, I, I understand that the, the thoughts and prayers message isn't enough anymore. So I hope to see some some real progress there. So again, just appreciate what I've learned and being able to participate a little bit tonight. Thank you, Brian. And these are my final comments. By the way, I agree with Brian. Peace brings prosperity and increases consumer confidence. Your home price may not skyrocket tomorrow, but when we have peace across the world, we have a better propensity to spend money, uh, feel, feel more confident about ourselves and our future. <clears throat> Very quickly on Ukraine. And now, can you put Father? There you go. Thank you. Um, we should give you Ukraine all the weaponry it needs, and then some. But don't tell anybody, including missiles that can strike deep into Russia. And what that would, ha what that would do, in my opinion, get Putin's generals, because a lot of them want to already take out uh, Putin himself. Once there's that much show of force that Ukrainians have that can go deep into, you want to come out, you took back mood, okay. We're going to take out one of your cities 200 miles inside Russia. We're going to, we're going to bomb. Russia is really good at destroying shit, like cities across Syria. They're really good at that. They're doing that same strategy to Ukraine. We're going to lead, lead, to, lead to turn Ukrainians loose, so they're going to do that same shit back to Russian cities deep inside Russia. And that, in my opinion, will create, start a revolution to take this guy out by his own people. Right. Thank you. Right. Yeah. On that note, have a great week. We'll have another fantastic show for you next Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Brian, for okay. joining us. Thanks for joining us Thank again, you. Father. Brian, good to have you. Great job on the Realtors. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Have a great evening, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night.